0: The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one size fits all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 76 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. I'm here today with Belinda Gill. And she is with me all the way from Australia. So I'm super excited to be talking with her today. Um, It's a crazy time difference. And yay for Zoom, because we get to have these great conversations and make friends all the way across the world. So welcome, Belinda. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm looking forward to having you share your breast cancer story with us.
1: Thank you, Jen. I'm really... I'm really happy to be here and to share my story because it is a little bit different to some stories as well. So really happy to share it and give other people in my situation something, someone else who's been where they are as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've talked with people from the UK and Canada. And it's always so interesting to me because here in the United States, we're having a big conversation about healthcare and and we have private insurance and some public options, but mostly private insurance. So it's, it's such an interesting topic. And I'm always curious to hear, um, especially in other countries, what people's experiences with the medical system and how things are working there. So I'm super excited for you to share that as well, because, you know, the grass is always greener. Unless it's not.
1: Unless it's not. I think look, I think over here our grass is pretty green, actually. I think I think your
0: grass is pretty green. Yeah. 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 (laughs) From what we've talked about, from what we've talked about in the past, it's pretty green. Yeah. So I'll just let you go ahead and jump in.
1: Okay. Um, so my story starts with um, my diagnosis in November last year. So I'm actually starting to get pretty close to 12 months since my diagnosis. We're recording this at the end of September. Um, and I had, like, for me, all I had was a little bit of blood on my bra and that continued For maybe a week or two, at first I thought it was kind of just something weird, something a bit gross, didn't really do anything about it, and then it didn't go away. So I thought, I better go, better just go and make sure there's not something funky happening here. Um, And now I look back and I think, how could I have been so unstressed? I think this is how much your perspective changes after a cancer diagnosis. Cause I was just like, Oh, that's weird. I'll just go about my business. Um, so just for anyone who does find just a random little bit of blood inside their bra, please do consult your doctor. Um, and so that was kind of, that was where it all started for me. Um, I did make the doctor's appointment. Thank goodness. And, I was really lucky because for me, I had, let's to get a little bit technical here, I had non-invasive DCIS, which meant that it was only in the milk ducts. And for me, it was actually right at the front of the breast in behind the nipple. So that's why I had that symptom of the blood um, and the, the bloody discharge. And the way that we were able to find it so quickly and so easily was because um, my GP, my doctor actually took a swab of the discharge um, and that showed that there were cancer cells in there. Oh, wow. So, we knew like within a couple of days that there was cancer and we had to find where it was. Um, it turns out that I was just really super lucky. Apparently, a lot of doctors don't do that swab because it rarely shows a positive because you know, it was just where the cancer was sitting if the cancer cells came through in that discharge. So I was really lucky that I had a doctor who did a fairly unusual and sometimes considered unnecessary test um, and that the cancer was where it was because that's how they found it. They sent me off for mammograms, ultrasounds, neither of them showed the cancer. Oh,
0: wow.
1: Yeah. So... Um, I was 39 at the time, which means that um, mammograms are actually less effective, is my understanding, under 40, and I had dense breasts. So, it was, you know, less likely to show anyway. And in the ultrasound, all they could see was some swelling in some of the milk ducts, which they said could be consistent with some kind of infection or something in milk ducts as well. So, we were really lucky that we got those cancer cells in that first test because You know, I was 10 years away from going over here, we start mammograms on a regular basis at 50. With no family cancer, I wouldn't have been put into any kind of mammogram testing. Um, There were no lumps, nothing, just that little bit of funky discharge. So that was kind of where it all started for me and from there it was just this, just things moved so fast. I was, so, you know, we were talking about the difference between public and private. I started um, seeing doctors privately. So my doctor was like, look, do you have private health insurance? Let's just get you in to see someone ASAP. Um, and so I had my first surgery a week to the day after we found those cancer cells. Um So she was like, she just pulled every string that she had to get me through booked in early for mammograms, um, an MRI, with um, which was how they actually found the location of the cancer was when they did the MRI. And that she was like, okay, look, we can see something here. I know where it is to target for surgery. And so I'm just going to go in. She did a large biopsy. She took about, um, I think it was close to three and a half centimeters. She was like, yeah, she was like, I'm going as big as I can go because I want to see if I can get it all in one hit, because but that was kind of the hope was that she's like, if we can get this in one hit, it's one surgery, you're done. Um, so that kind of happened a week, you know, with a week later to the day um, from that first um, cancer diagnosis and unfortunately she didn't get all of the cancer. So she could see that she had no clear margins and she saw that, Whilst it was non-invasive, it was also a high grade of cancer. So it was aggressive and it was probably only a matter of time before it did become invasive. Right. Um, yeah. So we, um, for me, it was, even though they knew there was not, they could tell from the MRI that there wasn't a lot, you know, they knew that they'd been looking at about three and a half to four centimetres of abnormal cells. So they knew there wasn't much cancer left. But because I have small breasts, the only way to go was to remove the whole breast. Um so that meant- that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so this is, I always say kind of fun fact about cancer. Like if you have small breasts, you're more likely to need a mastectomy, which I had no idea. I'd always kind of joked actually quite, what a stupid thing to joke about. But, you know, like if anyone's not going to get breast cancer, it's me because like there's so little breast to get cancer in turns out that's not true
0: so <laughs> that was yes, just something I, I made say, up myself right I used to say that I knew so many people that had breast cancer that there was no way I could be the one in eight because I already knew like because five. you already eight. knew
1: that you already knew the rest of them yeah
0: So that's not true
1: either. No,
0: no, it's not.
1: (laughs) Um, So we, yeah, so for me, the next thing was a mastectomy. So, you know, I had, because I was going privately at the time, I had the option of having a double mastectomy. So paying for the surgery to be a double mastectomy, it wouldn't have cost me an awful lot more because of the way it was set up. Although it's still, you know, the breast reconstruction is still Really quite expensive, even if you have health insurance. It is. So, I would have been looking at for uh, for a double, you know, for a double reconstruction and mastectomy. I was looking at in the vicinity of about seven thousand dollars, which is, you know, it's not pocket, it's not pocket money. No. So, <laughs> um, so in the end, we decided to move over to our public system, which here in Australia, I believe, is actually a really good system. Um, And going to the public system meant that I would only have the single mastectomy, but by that time I had actually decided to only have the single mastectomy. And so for me, like one of the hardest things in the early days was making all of those decisions. Will I lose one breast or two? The problem with, um, no, there is no standard for breasts. I am a very broad, like I'm I'm thin, but I'm very broad. So I have a very broad chest and small breasts, which meant that um, because I wanted to use implants, there was actually no implant that would match the other side. I could either have a breast that was the same size, but would be very narrow in comparison to my chest size and wouldn't match, or I could get something that was the right size um, in terms of my the breadth of my chest but would end up being bigger than the real breast, or I could opt to increase the other side to have a matching pair. So it's like, okay, well, what do I want to do here? Do I want to have matching breast and have opera, you know, have surgery on both sides, which is effectively, you know, increasing the size of my breasts, or do I want to just kind of get one breast and keep a real One. Um, So, you know, it was really those decisions. I just went around and around like one breast or two. You know, how do I reconstruct it? Do I do I have one real breast and one fake breast? What, you know? Really difficult (laughs) to make those decisions and to make them quickly. I also had the benefit because they knew that it was non-invasive and that the cancer was at the front, that they knew right from the start that chemo was pretty much not on the table for me. That wasn't an issue and even radiation was highly unlikely for me because they knew they'd only had about four centimetres of cancer and they knew it was at the front. So it was highly unlikely that I would even need radiation, which meant that I could actually do the reconstruction at the same time as the mastectomy. So it's, you know, harder surgery, but it reduced the number of surgeries that I would have. So I had to make that decision in there. As well, which I ended up deciding that yes, I would actually have, you know, the mastectomy and the reconstruction at the same time. So I, yeah, that was kind of everything that was happening. And that, you know, I ended up having slightly longer between the diagnosis and the mastectomy than most people would because I kind of changed systems halfway through, but also because I had that little bit of luxury because they knew that they had gotten almost all of it. Um, so I did have a little bit more time up my sleeve to play with. Um, so that all sort of happened early this year, which was also, I had that surgery two days after my 40th birthday. So like, it was just like, really like that's been like a bit of a bum. And so now, now we're sort of, you know, sometime later and I'm, now listed to finish the reconstruction. So I actually haven't finished my reconstruction. I still have the tissue expander um, in the breast they took out. And in a couple of weeks, I'm actually scheduled to have to finish that reconstruction. So that's
0: like something really to look forward to. And that's been a bit of a moving target, hasn't it? It has. So my surgery has been rescheduled three times.
1: Yeah. So that like part of that is... And I'm actually really quite grateful for it because part of that rescheduling was, A, I've gone through the public system so it doesn't cost me a cent, which yeah. means that if someone is needs life-saving surgery, they're higher up the list than me and I'm actually really okay with that because I know that no doubt when I had my mastectomy, I pushed someone else back a little yes. bit. Um, but also I was able to keep the same surgeon that I had um, and I was originally listed with a different surgeon, but they came back to me and said, look, do you want to stay with, you know, given the nature of what you're getting done and the conversations that you've already had, would you like to keep the same surgeon? And I opted to keep the same surgeon, which did delay me. So, again, I'm really grateful for that because they don't have to give me that option.
0: Yeah, that's really nice. I think that that is so important. I've seen that as a huge challenge for people like in the decision making process, right? Like if the surgeon's a good fit, the choices seem to be a little bit easier, like it's a little bit less challenging to make those decisions because you feel really confident in your team. So there's definitely a comfort level going into surgery, when you know your doctor, when you've especially if you've had a surgery with them previously, like, yeah, it's
1: we you know because I was a little bit more complicated, you know, trying to work out okay, how do we how do we give a woman matching breast when it's not a standard size? Um, and she was so committed to giving me what I wanted rather than just going, well, this is the way we would usually do it. But she was like, no, my goal is for you to feel good. Let's work out how to make that happen. And I just, so I felt really comfortable with her. And that for me has made a huge difference. I never felt to her like that with her. I was just someone pushing through the hospital. I felt really heard and supported all the way through.
0: Yeah, I'm always a little bit curious too. Like you referred to your surgeon as being a woman. Like my breast surgeon and my plastic surgeon are both women. And I know lots of people here that have had men that they've been very happy. But I do think that there's a a difference because there is a different like understanding, like a different yeah. kind of empathetic I think, approach. I don't know, like I think also like she was the same age as me as well. So, you know,
1: we were chatting one day. We were both having our 40th birthdays, you know, and how kids were similar ages. And I'm sure, you know, I know I'm sure all doctors do a really great job, but really I felt that, you know, here's someone who can actually stand what it's, understand what it's like to be a 40 year old woman with young children, still going to like, I'm still taking my kids to water parks. I'm still wearing, I live in North Queensland in Australia where it's hot. It's yeah. hot. We, <laughs> we spend a lot of time by the pool. We have a pool. We often have friends over and go for a swim. So for me, I actually really wanted to still be able to wear a pair of swimmers.
0: That was something that was important to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely... I remember you um, sharing with me about going to get fitted for a bra. Yes. And like how life-changing that was. And I think that that's something that people aren't even aware of those services.
1: While I'm being reconstructed, this is another part of it that we just don't know. While I'm being reconstructed, I actually have two very different breasts. So I have one that's like very round and high and bigger than the other one that's belonging to a 40-year-old woman who's breastfed two children, right? It's, it's like <laughs> it's doing its own thing. And so, you know, and the tissue expander is not comfortable. Like you <laughs> you yeah. need to wear something that accommodates two breasts that sit at different heights and are different sizes. And it's so I, and I went to a couple of local bra shops where they were just kind of like, Yeah, well, you could just put some filling inside a bra, I guess. Like, you could just try these. these They're meant to pad a bra, but you could just try them. And it was, I was, like, felt really... Unseen, unheard, unsupported. Um, so I actually drove for about an hour and a half up a range, which makes me feel really sick to go to a bra shop where they had specialty fitters and they were all trained to work with women who'd had mastectomies. And the experience was just so completely different.
0: Yeah, expanders are really interesting beasts. I remember my breast surgeon telling me, um, she was the person that dismissed me from the hospital after my mastectomy surgery, where I had my expanders put in, and I was really fortunate because they put air in them, so they yeah. were really light. Yeah, um, but they have an edge. Like there, you can feel an edge to the expanders, and they sit higher than your reconstructed yeah. breasts. So, like, even if you're doing implants. Like the implants don't sit as high. They have a more natural like feel to them. Yeah. And so I remember her saying like, these are going to be like kind of rigid and really high. And they're not going to be like that when like with the finished product. And I was like, yeah, yeah. but I got to live with these for like a year. <laughs> I so the same. She's
1: like, I promise <laughs> you're not going to look like this when you're done. Cause I'm like, it's pretty like,
0: it's pretty there, isn't it? She's like, it is. But when we, when we switch you to implants, it won't look like that. (laughs) When they, um, so I had air in mine, so they weren't very full when I came out of surgery, but I didn't feel like I lost anything because there was still something there and it was pretty close to what I had before, which wasn't a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But then when I went to the office, like the first appointment where they took out my drains and, She literally took an air pump, put them through like because there's a fill valve in the expanders because the whole point of expanders, for those of you listening that are like, what the heck's an expander? The whole point of them is that you fill them so you expand the skin gradually. So for for people like Belinda and I that were smaller and we're going a little bigger, they expand that skin to accommodate a bigger implant. So. She took like a pump and like, just like pumped up like a bicycle pump almost just like pumped up the one side. And then she like sat me up on the table and my husband said that my eyes like popped out of my head because I was not expecting. When you look down, it's really like (laughs) round. It's just like (laughs) there. And it's like right there,
1: yeah, yeah, it's like right up there, like kind of in under your armpit. And you look down, and it's like, do I look a little bit like a porn star right <laughs> there?
0: It's, it's kind of shocking, it is. Yes. Oh, which was was kind of funny. You, you know, you have to make light of the uh things yeah, you right, can make light of when cries. you're going through like, these things. Laugh, thanks. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, um, we'll be talking with Belinda a little bit more. So stay with us. I hope you're enjoying Unspoken Cancer Truths. I help people to get moving again. And sometimes you just need to switch up the approach or find a new challenge, especially when thinking about starting back after treatment or an illness. One of my goals is to help you flip the idea of exercise as something that's hard, awful, or daunting, and make it something fun, maybe even a little social, safely of course. The important thing is that you wanna get started and you're happy to show up for yourself, and then you wanna stay in the game because it feels good to move and you had fun doing it. Ready to reimagine exercise? You can email me at jennifer at fitnessdesignsolutions.com or schedule a coffee chat with me through the Facebook group. Surviving is just the beginning. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm here with Belinda, and we've been talking about her breast cancer journey. And we've had the opportunity to talk a few times. We were just talking uh, during the break. And it's, it's such an interesting thing, right? Especially with COVID, I feel like a lot of us have gotten a little behind on our regular checkups. And I know I have lots of clients that I'll say, do you have a cardiologist? And they're like, oh, I don't want another doctor. And I'm like, no, no. But it's like all women over a certain age should have a cardiologist because it's just like, it's important. And everyone moans and groans about having to go to the doctors. And I talked to so many people where I'm like, not only do you have to call and make the appointments, but then you have to actually like take the time to go to the appointments. And we were talking off air. You were sharing um, about how busy you were in the time around when you were um, had first gone to see the doctor. So I would love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah. So we
1: were just talking about when I got, um, because when I, as I said, when I went to the doctor at first, I really didn't think it was anything, you know, my doctor was fairly inclined to agree with me because there were no lumps, nothing, you know, sort of nothing suspicious, um, apart from the weird discharge. Um, and so, but she, you know, she did all the tests. She was very thorough. She referred me off to the ultrasound. And so, at the time that I had booked that ultrasound, um, on that day, I was actually scheduled to deliver a training in my job. And the training was due to finish at pretty much the same time that I would be at need to get to the ultrasound. Um, so I was, you know, when I actually got the call from the doctors, I was actually having a conversation with my colleagues saying, oh, you know, can I make it there in time? Is it, you know, is it going to be too hard for you if I have to leave the training early, you know, because we were delivering it together? You know, should I, I was contemplating cancelling this ultrasound because it would be inconvenient at work if I left this training early and I was kind of too busy to deal with that appointment. And I think that's something that's really easy for us to be too busy to go and prioritize these things
0: absolutely absolutely so then as it turned out, as you were contemplating not going to that appointment, your doctor called you and told you you needed to go to that <laughs> yeah. appointment. So they <laughs>
1: were calling to check that I had booked the ultrasound because, you know, I had even said to the doctor when I went in for my appointment, oh, I nearly didn't book this appointment because again, I was really busy at work. It's like, well, you know, I nearly didn't book it because I was busy. I've got to get out of work, come to the appointment, you know. And so they actually called me to say, have you booked it? do not cancel it. Please go. And because I was going that same day, they were like, great. You're, you know, you're scheduled for your ultrasound at 1130. Um, I'm going to, you know, Doc's going to see you at one o'clock today. And it was, that was when it kind of starts to go, oh, <laughs> what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, um, I was a little bit weird because I had a lot of, I was really prepared by the time I actually got to that point where I had a, had a definitive, I was really prepared. Like I had gotten my MRI results. Like I had had a bit of time to process that. So when I was actually talking to, to my surgeon, I was a bit more prepared for like where we were going, but I think that's not the norm. The norm is that we kind of get shocked. Yeah, I was expecting
1: a script for antibiotics or something, you know, it's like some kind of weird infection here, but it wasn't.
0: Right. Well, and then in much the same way that we, you know, we're really busy and there's a lot going on and it's much easier to just put off the appointments I think that in a lot of the same ways, we kind of downgrade, right? Like I was talking with Stacey a couple of weeks ago and people that have been listening might remember her saying like to her doctors, I don't have time for this. My mom has real cancer. And it was like, and I laughed and I was like, yeah, the, the same kind that you had. <laughs>
1: yeah, it <it's> still
0: cancer. <laughs> and she laughed. It was like, yeah, yeah, the same kind. But yeah. we kind of like downgrade it, like, oh, I like for me, I'll be like, well, I had chemo, but I wasn't really sick, like I had some ridiculous side effects, but I mean, we got them under control, and I was fine,
1: yeah, and for me, like I didn't even have chemo, so right. therefore, I'm not sick, <laughs> like everyone else is sicker than me because I'd had no chemo, I had no radiation and like part of what I told myself and it served me really well earlier on because it helped me to just keep functioning and to keep going was that it's just a surgery it's just a surgery and that was my mantra it's just a surgery
0: yeah and it's interesting too like I I've never really felt like I was an anxious person I mean I've I'm kind of like high energy and I'm always doing stuff, but I never really felt anxious about things. And I started noticing, like, as I was having my surgeries, like, oh, I am thinking about this a little bit more than, like, I normally would. And then I would just remind myself, I'm just going to take a nap. <laughs> I don't really have to worry about this. I'm just going to take a nap. And But when I wake up, like, it'll be done. <laughs> But I definitely noticed like that kind of like those different things that were a little bit more anxiety inducing where in the past, I wouldn't have necessarily given it a second thought. Yeah. And and I think think that like anxiety and depression and the challenges, like the fear of recurrence, there was a twenty. 18 article in the New England Journal of Medicine that talks about like common challenges like cancer survivors face, like chronic pain. It's one of the things that no one prepares you for after a mastectomy that you could have, you know, nerve pain. Because they just removed something, like it's affected the nerves. This doesn't necessarily change our decisions, but being prepared for those things definitely like. Takes the edge off a bit, but they, the depression, anxiety, um, PTSD. They're finding much more PTSD being diagnosed in patients and in caregivers. Like even more so, I think in caregivers, because of the traumas that they experience in, you know, navigating these situations with loved ones. Fear of recurrence is big. And issues returning to work are all common psychosocial issues that can all cancer survivors across the cancer spectrum experience. Yet, I know you and I have talked about this, like the psychologist referrals are not common. Like we really have to seek them out. And I think it's hard when you are in that place. Of being affected and then to be like you have to figure out that you're being affected before you know yeah that you have to yeah. ask for something yeah
1: and I think so for me one of the biggest like one of the hardest parts of this was firstly as you say like there's there were some physical parts to this that I wasn't prepared for so like you know having the mastectomy and the tissue expander put in there at the same time. That my, my recovery was quite a bit slower. It actually took me a full four months to get full mobility back in that left arm, which I just wasn't prepared for. And even now, like sometime down the track, I still have very tight chest muscles. And if I pl- do something like play piggy in the middle in the yard with my kids, that I really feel it all through my chest because that kind of jumping with my arms up is like really pulling at those tight muscles. So there's those sorts of physical aspects that I just was not prepared for. But I think even bigger is like the emotional and mental health aspects, Um, particularly having, you know, kind of gotten off so lightly. (laughs) Like this is what I always think it's kind of like, I was really lucky and I will never, ever take away from that. Like I was really lucky that we found my cancer so early um, that it was never, like there was a very short window for me where it was kind of, will I live or die? Like that was a really short window for me and my husband and we're so grateful for that. But also because of that, like I certainly had this tendency to feel like I'd gotten off so easily. I should be fine. Like I shouldn't, I should just be happy to be alive. I should just be, you know, I should be walking on on rainbows and dancing with unicorns. But that has actually not been my reality is that, you know, I've actually had a lot of trouble with depression and anxiety a lot of cognitive trouble, like memory, you know, word recall, stuttering, like losing my train of thought halfway through a sentence, which, you know, talking to the psychologist, she says, yeah, that's actually a really normal trauma response. But those sorts of things are like, I didn't expect them. And I was, I have had a lot of comparing myself to women who, you know, have had a much harder cancer journey and letting that detract from like I'm still actually allowed to feel like this is shit (laughs) sorry can I swear whoops this is is very difficult (laughs) um even you know even while feeling that I'm very grateful that I found it um I had a lady at the cancer wellness center a mental health nurse there who said to me yeah you know what's even better than like not having to do chemo and radiation and all that really horrible stuff She's like not having breast cancer. I was like, right. yeah, right. Like that's actually just like, what's really lucky is not having breast cancer. So yeah, you like, yes, like definitely be grateful for not needing those things, but also it still sucks to have breast cancer.
0: <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I tell everyone, one of the reasons that, I have this podcast and one of the reasons that I'm so outspoken about my journey is that I want everyone to go to their doctor. The moment that they're like, you know, this is weird. This is just weird. Like this isn't normal for me and this is just weird. And I think I'm going to go get it checked out because it's better to get it checked out and have it be nothing or have it be just some weird infection and be taken care of in a couple weeks, then be a worse infection or be something not great that I didn't take the yeah. time to get checked out. Like I always tell people, I want you to get your mammogram every year. Like I want you to advocate for yourself because I want everyone to be diagnosed stage zero or stage one, like early minimal interventions, like want that for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like on the line. I had asked for my mammogram three months prior to getting it. And I was told I had to wait for my physical and I didn't have to wait for my physical. The office just didn't want to process my paperwork. And had I had my, had I had it, Three months prior, I might have a different, you know, I might have been where you are. Yeah. No, honestly, like, so I'm like, do it. Have yeah, yeah. those appointments. Like, because that oncology nurse is so right. Still cancer.
1: It's still cancer. It's still hard. It still changes the way that we see the world. Like, never again will I have some weird. Breast discharge and just be like ah eh, I'm busy it's probably just an infection I'll deal with it when I have time like now we my husband and I worry about everything it's like is that weird is that is that like how quickly can we get this person you know this kid this this spouse to the doctor because now we worry about those things and I've had a lot of because the end result for me is going to be having larger, breasts, I've had a lot of like, what will people think of me? Will people look at me and go, oh, dang, we know why you took time off work, sister. Like you you took some time off work and now you're coming back with bigger breasts. Mm -hmm." So like I've had a lot of like, and these are like such a silly thing to be worried about, but it's been very real for me is that what are people going to be saying about me? And really it's just like, who gives a hoot what (laughs) they're saying? But that's the thought process that's happening behind the scenes.
0: Well, and my mom had said something, which she has a different opinion of this now since she had her DCIS a couple of years ago, but she had texted me one morning and was like, hey, I need your, your blog address because I had written an article and she wanted to share it with um, some random people they met at brunch. I still don't know how that came to pass, but at any rate, I said, mm, okay you know, texted it back. And I was like, "Why?" and she said, Oh, the people at the table next to us, their daughter-in-law has been diagnosed with breast cancer, but she won't let them tell anyone and she won't accept any help. And I said, Oh, that's really hard. And my mom said, they said that she thinks people will judge her. And I told her that wasn't true. And I said, Oh, that is true. And she was like, no. And I said, yes, it's totally true. It should not matter
1: because it
0: doesn't matter. I was like, it doesn't matter. People are people. Yeah, They're going to think what they're going to think. And it just doesn't matter. Like, it's not her fault. Cancer is not our fault. It's not something we did wrong. It's just something that went wrong. Yeah, It's not our fault. It's not her fault. But I was like, it's totally human nature to ask why. To which, yeah. unfortunately, most of the time we don't get an answer. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. And my mom was so shocked by that until she then was experiencing it. And she said, oh my gosh, she called me after telling some friends that she was having surgery. And she was like. I don't understand. Like, why is everyone so upset? And I was like, "Cause they're they're wondering how they would process it if it was them." Yeah, I I actually had a lady say to me, um,
1: "It was you know I was seeing my optometrist who I you know I've been seeing her for twenty odd years, and we got to chatting about me having the breast cancer and having only you know." Only having a mastectomy on the side with the cancer. And she said to me, Oh, I have a friend who did the same thing. But then she said to me, You know, she really regrets that decision now. Like she really wishes that she'd had a double mastectomy. And I came home and I said to my husband, Why would you say that to someone like that for me was the most agonizing decision that I've made in my life? And everyone had an opinion on it. And I even had someone say to my husband, Are you really going to let her just do the one? Side, she's, you know, why is she risking her life? And he was just like, no, you zip it. You do not say that to her. Like that, that, you know, like everyone had an opinion. And I was just like, no, this is not, you
0: know what? You, you don't get to have an opinion on this. I interviewed someone with, um, she had a rare brain tumor and she said, when you find out that you have cancer, all of a sudden everyone has the letters "MD" after their name. <laughs> she was like the girl at the desk at the gym. Like, yeah. like, oh well, I know
1: someone, and my sister, this happens to him all the time. They'll say, "How's your wife?" Oh, I know someone who had breast cancer, and she and he's like, "Great." That's wonderful. Good for her. You know, like, oh, she's not back at work yet. Oh, you know, like, and he's like, yeah, that's good. You know, I'm really glad that that person you knew 10 times removed bounced back. That's, that's good for her. Excellent. You know, just not the same.
0: And everyone is different. And I think that that is so important. Like every, I always tell people, like every choice that you make is perfect. For you in the moment that you made it. Yeah. And that's all. Like, if something comes up in the future and we decide to make a different choice, then that's our different choice to make, make it that- at a different time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I chose not to have radiation. And I told my oncologist, I said, the risks far outweigh the benefits right now. And if something happens in the future, if you want me to do radiation, I'll do it then. I won't argue with you. Yeah. But I'll still be fine with the fact that I didn't do it the first time. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that we can't know. Like, I don't know that I'm never going to regret having, you know, choosing to just remove the one breast. But I also know I'm still completely confident that right now, like if I had been in that amount of. Pain and stiffness on both sides. I, my children are seven and nine now. When I had the surgery, they were six and eight. It's still a very, it's still a very big phase of motherhood. Like everything would have fallen. Like there was so, I was so limited in what I could do because the tightness in my chest and how, you know, how awful I felt from things like antibiotics and. Was, that would have been so much more like for my family to deal with. You know, yeah. and this for me is an option that helped me to get through that phase in a way that my kids dealt really well with it because I was fairly well the whole way through. I can never regret that. Like even if I have to make different decisions later on.
0: Yeah, no, I you you made the perfect choices for you in that time. 100%. Yeah. But yes, everyone has an opinion and sometimes they're super weird. That's <laughs> really true. Yes. It's like, thanks. I mean, <laughs> I, had, sure I had someone who may or may not be Braca. um She lost her mom at a really young age um, and she doesn't want to know. So, okay. That's cool. Again, choices. We all have them. And she was like, so have you considered a raw food diet? Because I feel like I should make these choices before I have to make these choices. And I was like, that didn't go very well for Steve Jobs. Like, I'm still doing chemo. (laughs) That's, yep, I have a pretty good diet. I'm going to keep eating my vegetables. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Western medicine here. Yeah. That's the choice I'm making. Yeah, and that's that's all we can do. Make our choice, right? Yes, yeah. for sure, for sure, for sure. So one of the things that that we had been talking about, and and I think in in the land of comparison, because oh my goodness, there's so, everybody, everybody. You hear all the stories, um, all the stories. <laughs> yeah, um, and everyone has an opinion. And then we start to, like, we start to internalize that. Even, I I always feel like we don't need so much uh, thick skin when it comes to this as we need, like, a Teflon coating. Yeah. Where everything can just, like, slide off of us and we don't have, like, we don't have to get that on us. Like, we don't have to take any of that energy with us. Yeah. Because that can be really challenging and... Like in that, when I read that article in the New England Journal of Medicine when I was prepping my TED Talk, I was like, oh, like this anxiety that I am experiencing, like, this is just normal. Like these like mild panic attacks (laughs) that I seem to be having, like, oh, this is just normal. We were at a movie and An oncology nurse had told me she pulled me aside at a meeting right before my third treatment and said, So I don't know if anyone told you, but sometimes after the third treatment, you have late onset nausea. I had I had a lot of issues, but nausea wasn't one of them. So we all I always felt good on chemo night. So we went to the movies. And I'm sitting in the movies and I'm just like this. Like just sitting there thinking about what i'm gonna order because it's a like cinema draft house so there's dinner so i'm like thinking about what i'm gonna order and i'm starting to have like a panic attack and my husband looks at me and he's like are, are you okay and i was like i'm just having a panic attack i'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> he's like sit here and hyperventilate. I'm he's fine. like what I'm like, my heart's racing and I'm like starting to sweat and I'm just like sitting there and I'm just like breathing and I'm like, take a sip of water and I'm just like sitting there and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, someone told me today that I was going to be nauseous. So, and he's like, are you? I'm like, no, but I could be. No, (laughs) yeah. Any minute now. (laughs) I was like, what if I order something and it makes me feel not feel good? And he was like, oh my goodness, like okay, well, see if it passes. <laughs> and like a few minutes, it was like the pre-show and like it passed. And I was like, I'm just going to order what I always order. And I just went about my night. Like I was fine. It had passed. Like I was okay. But then when I read that, I was like, oh, that's all normal. Why did not anybody yeah. tell you that this is normal? Yeah because then I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what is what what is wrong with me?" This is crazy. Yeah, I was I was, you know, we were talking about this before
1: like I struggled to answer the phone. Like I couldn't like I would have or call people, but like a big one was if my phone rang, I just it, and it didn't matter who it was. It could be my, you know, my closest girlfriend, I couldn't answer the phone. I was just just like I just look at it ring. Like just really strange things that are like, now, okay, like that's getting easier now. I can answer my phone. Congratulations to me. I can answer my phone again now. But there was a really solid period there where just the phone ringing terrified me. Even if it was like a friend and I could see them on the caller ID and it was like, I can't answer that. I'll just call them when I can.
0: Yeah. It's not having that. Support up front. I really feel like that's a missing link in yeah. our treatment, like in the standard of care. It's really a missing link. Over here at the moment, our wait times
1: are like I waited three months to get an appointment with a yeah. psychologist. And there were like there were times in there where it was starting to look pretty shaky. (laughs) I was just like, I feel really bad. You know, the doctors were like, do we we need to get you on antidepressants? And I'm like, gonna gonna try and stay the path here and see the psychologist? But we were like at that point where I was like, can I wait three months to see a psychologist? And having gotten to that point, it's made a huge difference. And my recovery, like emotionally has been, exponentially better since then but again had I been given that referral at the time of the mastectomy or the diagnosis like I wouldn't have reached that point where it was like quite frankly she's had to deal with a bit of a poop storm (laughs) in all the things that I've been going like she's untangling a lot more than she would have had I been able to see her you know, a couple months after the diagnosis, or even a couple months after the surgery, rather than three months after things started to fall apart a bit.
0: Yes, absolutely. And we're seeing those delays across the spectrum. Every specialist, there's just not enough doctors. Yeah. It's months before you can get in to have an appointment with someone. And our mental health isn't, isn't something we can wait months. Like, especially when we're in a situation, like you say, if you had gotten the referral at your diagnosis, waiting three months might have been per like might have been okay. okay. It would have been fine. There's yeah, like you've because- got so many doctors and there's so much support in that time frame. Like you're just Like, there's so much support. And then I think we all hit that point where, like, there's doctors and there's support and your visits and you have decisions to make. And there's people that are checking in with you and you have the nurse navigators. And there's, like, all these people. And then you have surgery and you do your follow-up. And then you're, like, they're gone now. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) left. And it's not shiny and new anymore. And now I have my surgery. So everyone thinks I'm fine. So I guess I should be fine. I don't think I'm fine. But I think I'm supposed to be fine. I don't know. Yeah. And then, like, by the time we get to a point where we're like, no. No. I'm not fine. <laughs> I'm never sure this is not normal anymore. And then
1: you gotta wait three months going, I'm really sure this isn't normal <laughs> anymore. But still just hanging in here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's and I think another important thing is that we never know what thing is going to like bring about that kind of like to kind of bring it back front and center because there are like whether it's a scan that you have coming up we were talking about when your next kind of round of scans will be and then and we do start to like make plans around different different things and different kind of timelines and we never know like what Like I was diagnosed in April, but April's not really a thing for me. Like I don't, my surgery was in June. I tend to like have more like things come up in June. I started my chemo like in August. Like those things seem to be more like present to me, but we just don't know. Like I have another friend, she's 14 years out and she's like, eh, October diagnosis month pink everywhere here in the States. Not sure if Australia is the same, but it's like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And for, we were saying, you know, my, my birthday, my 40th birthday was two days before my mastectomy. So now it's like birthday scans and checkups is like, thing think that's, they're going to, you know, they're kind of tied together now, yeah. you know, those big birthdays were also kind of attached to, The big surgery as well. You know, so when I turn 50, that will be the 10 year anniversary of having my breast removed. So there's a, you know, there's all those little things that kind of sit around making go. Do I, you know, do I want to make a plan for
0: that? Cause I don't really know how I'll be feeling. So yeah, it's a weird thing. Well, and I do think there's something somewhat empowering about like five, like I hit five years this year. And I was like, and my oncologist hadn't said anything about like three or five years because the type that I have, um, HER2 positive is sort of like triple negative in that the first three years are super important. Um, like that's the most common recurrence time frame. And I had asked about a recent study that he was sharing with another friend of mine and he said, "Oh no! Once you got past three years, like your risk of recurrence really dropped off a cliff." He's like, "So I feel really good about that." And I was like, "That might have been good to know like two years ago." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Okay." I was feeling good about five, like because five is a kind of you know five is the general yeah it's rule a of significant thumb. It's like number. Five yeah, yeah. So I think when you kind of like get to five and then. I I have a lot of people that I work with that are like 5, 10, 15 years out. And there's definitely little things, like little things here and there. But I think in some respects, like time, time does help. Yeah. But it's the psychosocial piece is definitely another one of those pieces that I think is so important, like so important for us to know that it's totally normal. Yeah. And if someone tells us, Hey, there's this thing that's really normal. So if you start to notice it, here's what we want you to do. Like then we're like, Oh, Oh, hello. Yeah. You hello can thing that I'm supposed to yeah. notice. Like, oh, you're the, I know you, <laughs> where yeah. if they don't tell you, you're like, this is weird. Like, I don't feel yeah. right. And I,
1: like, I thought I should be fine because it was, it was just a surgery, you know, like I thought I should be feeling just amazing because I didn't have to do chemo, etc. But no, it's sometimes you can feel rubbish, even if you don't have to do that stuff.
0: For sure. For sure. Cause it's still cancer. Yeah. And I think that we discount. That. Yeah. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's always so nice to see your face. Everyone else this can't see your face. My pleasure. But- <laughs> And I'm looking forward to hearing. I know you have your reconstruction coming up, so I can't wait to hear about that as well when you're on the other side, about how thrilled you are with the yeah. the new look. Yes, the new look. Yes. Now I can start to be like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy myself some new
1: swimmers. I'm gonna do some fun stuff with this. <laughs>
0: it's so that that is kind of fun yeah (laughs) (laughs) having gone that direction myself yeah (laughs) but I call that my silver lining
1: (laughs) yeah I think that I think we have to look for them where we can find them
0: absolutely absolutely well thank you so much for chatting with me today and for talking about some really important topics that I think it's so important to shine light on and to really normalize the conversation around.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm happy to be part of normalizing that conversation as well.
0: Yeah. I think it just, it helps us. It helps the people that come after us. So thank you for that. I want to thank Belinda for joining me today and sharing her story. The mental health side of this journey is one that really needs a bigger spotlight. Anxiety, depression, challenges returning to work, fear of recurrence, and even post-traumatic stress are all common conditions cancer survivors face. It's something so many of us struggle with, and yet the supports are not yet a natural extension of our care plans. And even though the research shows it's a reality for us, Hopefully, as we keep raising awareness and talking about these unspoken topics, we can help people new to this journey get to services faster, make asking for help a more normal part of this crazy ride. Also, remember, if you're overdue for a checkup or a screening of any kind, you can't just take the time to make the call to schedule it. You actually need to make the time to show up. If you take the time now, hopefully it will actually save you time, money, and improve your overall well-being in the long run. That concludes this week's episode. I would love to connect with you over in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. There you'll find a community of past guests and group members who know what this journey is like. Knowing there are others with similar experiences helps us know that we're not alone. There is a community of people with similar and diverse experiences waiting to meet you because surviving really is just the beginning. And you can also find ways to connect with Belinda in the show notes as well. So thanks for listening and have a great week.